Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Tone Talk with Mark Uzanski and Dave Friedman. Uh, we've got an awesome guest tonight. It's episode 87, by the way. Uh, Tosin Abasi. How are you, Tosin? I'm good. Welcome How are you? Guys? Good, good. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks. Dave, what's going on with you? <laughs> uh same as last week or last week or the week before or the last oh i don't know <laughs> i know it's nothing uh, really exciting to report <laughs> yeah same here i actually went oh. to a football game yesterday outside what? my son's football game so oh. so but it was very socially distant and you know so with that but i was outside so i didn't do a little of that but outside of that i haven't done anything um how's the uh how's the year treating you tosin has it been as crazy for you as it is but for everybody else yeah i think as a touring musician this is like a i never processed a scenario that would shut down all the venues and all the live performances and even make it hard to even getting a recording studio. I, I just never conceived of something like that happening globally. So it was like the biggest curveball ever, you know? Yeah. So yeah. And still, that's crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, have and you it's been not getting better? <laughs> Apparently it's it's like, yeah, it's worse than it's ever been. And, and we got a whole battle in front of us. Crazy thing is, I remember when this was just like news blurbs about China and we had a whole US tour. Um, we were doing direct support to Dance Gavin Dance. And this was gonna be the largest, largest rooms we've played on tour in the US. And at a point it started to look kind of scary. Um, I remember like Washington State's shut down or something like that. And I was just like, I texted management, I'm like, guys, like, is the tour gonna be affected? And they were like, no, it'll be fine this, that, and the other. And then literally the day we were meant to leave for tour, so the tour bus is here, the trailer's here, production's rented, crew's flown in, merch is ordered, all that stuff. The day we were supposed to play our first show, they they closed like Major League Baseball and the NBA and everything shut down. And we were just like, literally like loading our, our tour bus. <laughs> like, so, yeah. It's been a it's been a weird one. So are you um are you have you been recording in that in that spare time or? Actually, yeah, we ended up just pivoting to doing an out al an album, and um, that's essentially what the band's been up to. Uh, there was a while where we were afraid to even get in the same room with each other, just because you know how when this thing started, no one was really that sure about airborne this or like there was just like a lot of different in different information about how high risk certain activities were and we were just like airing on the side of caution so we waited a few months and then we we were just like look the music is worth dying for i guess so, <laughs> yeah. so you're probably like okay look everyone go get a test and then <laughs> Yeah, I don't know if you guys have tried this where you maybe you, I, you choose a few of your buddies or something and you're like, all right, you guys, if we all agree to the same type of rules, we can hang out. And you kind of have like your own little pod of people. And we kind of tried that where we're just like, 
you know, it isn't a free for all. You can't like go everywhere and do everything, but like, you know, select few um, of us, mainly the band, we just decided to kind of like be more conscious and that way we could see each other, you know, with some, some level of safety, you know? Right. Yeah. I, I actually haven't done that, but um, it makes total sense if, especially from a band perspective, you know, if you're going to do that. Um, well, yeah, but you know, but you still have those. The problem, if everyone agrees, it's then what are their kids or girlfriends or what you know, wh whoever else is also involved in their life? Have they agreed? <laughs> yep. And are they following the same rules? Totally. Because that's <laughs> it seems to be how it happens. Someone it gets complicated. Yeah. 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 And everyone well, has it. Well, we were working with Misha, uh, Misha Mansour Periphery, and he was doing some production, but his his roommate is an ICU nurse, or she's she's like a pediatric nurse. So it was kind of like, bro, like, I mean, you're kind of living with someone who works in hospitals. This is kind of... Right. <laughs> you know, but uh, it's it's been fine, strangely enough, so. Good. Well, knock on wood. Yeah. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Um, so, so what about uh, what kind of recordings have you been doing, and what what's uh, is it ready to come out anytime soon? Or just curious. Uh, so, Spore Animals is leaders. It's our next full length album, and we're going to be dropping it. I think we're going to take a different approach slightly to where um, we'll roll the stuff out in singles. Um, just because with COVID, you can't do a headlining tour. You can't like, you can't do the same sort of album rollout because a lot of the stuff you would package with the release is just off the table. So we're going to try to also with the way that music is consumed now, like everyone's either on Spotify or Apple Music and they're kind of like, these algorithms really favor like frequent engagement as opposed to just like, this one moment in time you put out a bunch of songs and then you hope that it keeps getting recommended to people and stuff. It's actually better to continuously engage and I think more people will hear it that way. So we're gonna try to modify our the release strategy to to kind of update it for how people are listening to stuff now. Release a bunch of single singles and then uh, eventually package it as an album. Mm -hmm. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it makes sense. At least personally, from my perspective, I mean, releasing a whole album these days almost seems like so old school. Yeah, but let me ask you, I mean, like we're all old enough to remember an album coming out and you, you look at it as like a body of work. You know, you're like, right. and yeah. have, you, have your listening habits changed? Like if not for albums you already know and love, but if someone puts out a new album, like you're probably going to get the whole thing and listen to it, right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. I just like, I'm in that weird, I feel like that's my behavior with music, but I feel like very close to me are people young enough to like never have owned physical musical music collections. And they're just kind of like, you know, we even experienced this on tour. We, we put out an album in 2016, the end of 2016, basically 2017. And I, I realized that like, we could be playing deep cuts from the album, but like, people who had actually bought it maybe online or whatever hadn't necessarily heard track nine because like 
maybe it's on a Spotify playlist and there's only like two tracks from the album that are on that playlist or they never, they didn't really like dive deep into it as a full body of work. They're just kind of like skinning. And I just feel like that's how, that's how it is now. I don't know. Yeah. yeah I mean, if an artist that I'm into releases a single, I'm still going to download that regardless whether it's just the single or it's the album, you know, I'll just listen to either one, you know, the whole thing or just that one single and be happy with what I get, I guess, you know? Um, so it's weird. It's weird. It's a weird time. I feel like the single will get more attention. The yeah. singles, you know, and, but yeah, I think there's a kind of a, I think because of, because of COVID and because of the rise of like algorithm driven content, I think there's a lot of behind the scenes sort of like pivoting to figure out the best way to actually maximize that stuff. So I think we might start to see a lot of like different strategies to people releasing music, especially if you can't, you can't tour the album yet and you can't, I mean, there's, it's kind of weird, you know? Yeah. That, that's the toughest part. I'm one of one of these weird people that still like to buy the albums. You like the physical product. Well, I don't mind. Well, even if even if I actually purchase it online, um, I liked. I I feel it's contributing for you know it's for the artist. You know what I mean? I I, I don't feel really great about Spotify. You know because that's not. Um, making the artist any money you know yeah or not much <laughs> I agree with you. so 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 i always try if i like an artist i always try to if they have a, something out i'll always try to purchase it um i know that's a rarity these days <laughs> no yeah no or if it's vinyl i would I'd buy vinyl for sure so vinyl thrives for some reason yeah i think there's something about vinyl that enrolls people but you know what i've noticed about kind of what you're talking about dave is i feel like it's genre specific i think they're like in metal and rock i find that people feel connected to the bands they love and they want to directly like contribute to that band yeah yeah but if we're talking about edm or some shit, like i feel like they're just like they just kind of assume that it's all fine and that they're like a drop in the bucket and like but I think like rock and metal fans feel like maybe we're part of a subculture and we're part of like, it's not exactly mainstream. And like, we've got to like, actually like we care about our bands existing in a way that's yeah, different, yeah. you know? So maybe, maybe yeah. I just know too much about what's going on behind the scenes, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and, and how the artist is getting fucked and, and all that. So, yeah. you know, yeah. I don't know. I still, I, music is not free. I don't believe music is free. Um, no, neither do I. I'm old though. So <laughs> you're old you know? enough. The problem is, is it's it's like kind of free. It's not, and it kind of is for all intents and purposes, the way people consume it. Like they can just go on YouTube or they can go on, you know, yeah. Spotify. And there's no there's no real transaction. So I think psychologically, strangely enough, I remember Radiohead, this was a while ago, but they did a pay what you want thing. They put out an album and they were just like, and they had a lot of people volunteer to overpay, you know? Yeah. And yeah. I think that's a really interesting part of consumer behavior because it's like never in the history of 
selling things to someone be like, I don't know, you can have it for free, but if you want to give me money also, you can volunteer. Yeah. It does work that way because I remember a long time ago there was a, a, a concert we did at Tone Merchants in Orange County when it was in Orange County still. And uh, it was, uh, instead of ticket prices, we just said, pay what you want for, for your ticket, you know, just give, <laughs> make your donation, you know? Oh, right, right. And so it's like people at first were like, well, what is everyone else paying? <laughs> you know? And in the end, you know, in the end, there were some guys that paid like, you know, $4, but, but there were a lot of guys that paid way more than what we would have charged anyway. Mm-hmm. So in, in the end, it really sort of balanced itself out. Yeah. Which was cool, which is totally cool. It's like, you know, yeah, we're asking cool. for a donation. So, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, I went to the the museum in New York and it was the same kind of thing. They were like, well, you can get him, you know, you don't have to donate anything, but if you want to, uh, it was the Metro- feel bad. <laughs> yeah, the Metropolitan Museum of, uh, no, 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 it was uh, natural history. Natural mm-hmm. history. So, uh, you know, of course, you're like, you know, I have to give some, you know, like I can't just go in for free. So of course, you know, you pay a little, but uh, yeah. yeah, it's interesting. People overpay. That's an interesting way to do it. Yeah. You know, interestingly enough, do you have you guys heard uh, the new Wolfgang stuff yeah. that he came out with? I haven't heard it, but I, I just saw some stuff about it today. So, Oh, you didn't watch the video yet? No. Like oh, a music man. video? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, That's yeah, a rough should. one to watch. Is it a bunch yeah. of like photos of him and, and it's a bunch of family photos from the time he was a little video? Boy. Actually, it's video and, and everything growing up, you know. Oh wow! And it's it's just like, and you're listening to the lyrics, and you just like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, holy I'm crap! Feeling... It hits you pretty hard. All of a sudden, it hits you pretty hard. You yeah, know? I but number it's... one on all of Apple. Oh really? Of no, all charge. Number one all charts. Top song. So beyond right, right below top. it is Billie Eilish. Well, congratulations to that. And I, I'm so happy that there's such a response. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And who better to do a you know a tribute like that, you know? It's kind and, of like, yeah. yeah. And uh and just just the single itself, you know, releasing a single and I it's interesting. I, he was kind of alluding to the fact about how he's going to do his album. He might actually release kind of bits and pieces along the way. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm not sure how he's going to do it, but um, but he has played another. Every, played every instrument. Really? Yeah, yeah, every instrument. That's incredible. Yeah, it it seems like they have such a loving relationship. Just from the outside looking in, the bit I saw, and that's like. I'm really happy that that's the, that was the case. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause it's like family transcends everything and to have a strong relationship with, you know, your father. It's like, yeah. well, now you got to watch the video and yeah, we'll be all right. feel, yeah. feel sad. Like the rest of us did. Yeah. Have some <laughs> tissues ready. That's for sure. Yeah. But you know, that song's a bit softer, but the, uh, the other song, Dave, you heard the other song, right? Yeah, the other song he released was a heavier song. The the the, the one this first single was with the dedicated to his father was kind of a pop 
pop song, so just pop yeah. rock kind of song, so to softer speak. kind of thing. But the the other song was heavier and awesome, like yeah. really good. Yeah, like I was like, wow, very impressed. Mm. Uh, so cool stuff. Yeah. Um, so how did you get into playing guitar, Tosin? Take us take us back back to the beginning. Uh, all right, it's kind of uncool, but I was playing the clarinet in the school orchestra. Like in the third and fourth grade, um, so I learned how to read music and like you know I was understanding a bit of music theory, but the clarinet was not very cool. I, I wasn't hearing it on MTV and you know what I mean. Like, but um, a friend of mine in the neighborhood was taking guitar lessons and he had a guitar lying around, and it was just it was just curious to me. So I asked him to show me something one day when I was in the living room. And he showed me uh, a Metallica riff, like the beginning of one. And I was just like, guitar is really awkward at first. But for some reason, I was like, it felt really gratifying to get like a really basic riff down. And I I don't know why. I didn't give it much thought. I just was like, I want one of these, you know? And I, um, I asked my dad to get me one. And I got he got me this like Strat knockoff thing. I mean, this thing was like... He didn't know anything about instruments, neither did I. But like, dude, the neck was bowed and like, it was just <laughs> unplayable. Um, but I figured it out. And luckily for me, when I started playing, um, the most conspicuous guitar music was like Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Alice in Chains and Soundgarden. And if you could play a power chord and move it around, you could play most of your favorite songs. Yeah. So the learning curve, like I didn't have Google to see like some like nine-year-old, you know, Chinese girl shredding, you know, <laughs> Racer X or whatever like, to discourage <laughs> me, you know, it's just like, mm -hmm. I could just like learn the whole, you know, Nirvana album. And it was like a low enough bar for me to like really feel like I was progressing pretty quick. And um, guitar is kind of addictive, or at least in my opinion, I, I love the little, the small victories of like learning a song or a technique or whatever the case is. And like, you couldn't do it a, a month before and then now you can do it. So I really kind of just started to get more and more enrolled in that process. Um, then from there, I discovered like heavier bands, like, you know, this is kind of transitioned into stuff like, uh, Deftones and um, Incubus and like it was kind of the new metal wave, you know. Slipknot, yeah. I remember Slipknot came out. I was like, this is the darkest, heaviest music I've ever heard. And then I discovered death metal, and then I discovered you know progressive metal. I think it was primarily because I was like, yeah, basically my exposure to music was limited to whatever was on heavy rotation on the radio and whatever was on MTV. So I never really heard. Like, you know, I didn't really hear Vi and Satriani until I started kind of digging into Guitar Player Magazine and like buying records on my own. Um, so a lot of my years were just spent playing whatever I was exposed to. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It, was a, it was a cool time, though. A lot of guitar stuff. I mean, I mean, maybe not the virtuoso kind of things, but but great. I mean, Soundgarden and Nirvana and, and all those all the bands that came out through the nineties and then even like later into the, um, uh, 
that heavier thing. You were Slipknot and everything else that came out around later uh, in the '90s or early 2000s. Uh, it was an interesting time. It was a cool. It was a bunch of cool songs and a bunch of cool bands and. A, was, I agree. It, cool. it felt like metal was evolving in this way that like because yeah. you had your Slayers and you had your Metallicas and you know you had metal that like was like capital M metal like it just was uncontroversial but then you would get bands like System of a Down or you know these other bands that were um, not your straight ahead metal but I think it was a cool time because of the, the creativity you know it was kind of like heavy music was going in a lot of different directions. Um, yeah. So yeah, that was cool. Sure. But I remember I, I remember turning on classic rock stations and hearing stuff like Hendrix and like old Van Halen and stuff like that. And so I bought, there was this video instructional videos, like 50 Van Halen licks. And like, I remember realizing it was like, from when I, what I learned from those licks, it felt like if you took a blues player and like shot him into the future and like you just added, you know, cause it had some rock and, and pentatonic foundations, but like technique wise, it was beyond whatever, anything you'd ever really need to play the blues with. And it was like, it was cool. That's like my first taste of shred was like, you know, Van Halen. And then I started to like, dig deeper for more players and obviously the Ingvay Malmsteins and the Paul Gilberts and the Vine, John Petrucci. And I just get hot licks videos. All these guys had instructional videos. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I <laughs> go to my music store and just get one video from the hair. And it's just yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Classic. That was, yeah. yeah that's, that's my education basically. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. So basically you started off with the, this stuff that, you were exposed to, but then started reaching back for the stuff that happened before your time, so to speak. And uh, yeah, a lot of people do it that way. Yeah, and it's funny because if you want to play guitar fast, um, you're going to end up playing, you're probably going to end up playing metal just because it's the only genre that allows for you to get away with sweet picking and sweet taps and all this stuff. and. You're not upsetting the producer and the rest of the band members. So like, I feel like this ex advanced guitar technique just kind of like steered me in the direction of kind of like heavier music because it's the only context that these dudes were popping up. I'm like, it was, you know, hair metal had it, but then it, it started to get even more so, you know, with um, progressive metal and stuff like that. So mm -hmm. I thought it became the weird guitar player I am today. Well, yeah. So, how did that happen exactly? So, I mean, you developed a a definitive style, mm. uh, which doesn't really happen all that much. You know, there, there were there were people over the years that have done it. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, like you mentioned, Eddie Van Halen. He obviously came out of the seventies, essentially, and 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 was like, "What the heck is this?" You know, and but not many people have done real definitive signature sort of sounds and I, I do believe you have now mm. and with what you do and the kind of guitars you play and the way you play it it's really unlike anyone else mm. yeah um, I'm happy to hear you, you, you feel that and I definitely 
want I wanted to be or want to be that type of player. Because mm-hmm. as we're talking about music, I think we're gonna talk about dudes who defined a sound. Um, yeah, you know what I mean. And it, it doesn't happen very often. And it's these players are usually so impactful that they create a whole bunch of copycats, not in a derogatory way, but like we get super inspired. I mean, dude, you want to sound like your favorite player, but it's not that often that like someone comes along and really contributes something new um, to the instrument. So I think it's twofold. I was always inspired by players who who really created an original approach. So, you know, everyone from Van Halen to um, Alan Holdsworth, I feel like Steve Vai has an incredibly um, idiosyncratic and unique voice on the guitar. Ingve Malmsteen blew my mind when I first heard the classical yeah. thing through a Marshall stack on a Stratocaster. I was just like, dude, what? You know what I mean? And so um, I think I obsessed over the guys who like were the guys. And then I think it's kind of funny as far as my style with like the extended range guitar. Um, the new metal thing had a lot of down tuned guitars and a lot yeah. of extended range guitar. And so innocently I wanted into that territory, but then I realized guys like John Petrucci and Vibe were using seven strings and doing a lot more than just playing in the lower register. Um, but it really got interesting for me on the guitar when I started to look at dudes like Victor Wooten and stuff like that, mm-hmm. who were not necessarily guitar players, but using a variety of techniques. I mean, Vic, I've seen him perform and he's just, he goes through a range of everything from tapping to that double thumb thing that he's doing. And I remember thinking about, you know, it's not necessarily about the guitar or bass at this moment. It's just stringed instrument. Like if it's got strings on it, you can manipulate those strings to sound a range of ways. And so I became really technique focused and I always wanted to put it all together. You know, guys like Stanley Jordan who were playing primarily with tapping, mm-hmm. you got Frank and Bali doing all the economy picking stuff. So I, my whole thing was like, I literally am no different than anyone else who's trying to be their hero. But like, I think because I have my own band, I get away with literally throwing everything that I like into the same musical context and there's no one to piss off, you know? <laughs> so, right. Yeah. So, yeah, I just, it, it does seem like, and all that you mentioned, it does seem like you just took all those influences and all that style and just threw it in a blender and out popped what you're doing now. I, yeah. Probably not that simply, but. <laughs> Over time. You know? Over yeah. time, yeah. Because because yeah. it's a whole different even like the the gear that's used everything is very much works for your particular thing, you know. Um, it it's uh, I find it it's really cool because it, it it's like there's there's a little bit of that Victor Wooten and then there's all this you know and and there's a little bit of some other bass players mixed with, you know, all sorts of other, yeah. Like this little bit of Stanley Jordan, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's cool. And you mentioned gear. It's kind of like, 
I don't know if you've noticed this over time, but metal guitar playing has like evolved to demand like pickups that are like extremely articulate and like amplifiers that are really tight, like have really fast low end responses and are really gamey, you know what I mean? And like, um, it's kind of like, yeah, I ended up kind of doing a niche thing with metal that combined all of my, my favorite players, but then also I needed to have guitars with more than six strings and pickups that sounded good in that low register and an amp that sounded good with that low register and, but also could do the lead stuff. And I don't know, it's just like, I didn't necessarily plot the course consciously, but you know, over time, it, yeah, it ended up being a pretty specific original thing, I guess. Yeah. And a lot of people are, uh, I don't, know, I don't know if we want to call them copiers, but I mean, influ you've influenced a lot of people mm. to play that way. Yeah, it's kind of a trip, um, but I love it. Yeah, that's awesome. It is a trip, right? I mean, it, do you like seeing it or does it kind of weird you out? I like seeing it. I actually, yeah. I try to give away any of the techniques I use or any of the harmonic concepts. I've, I've, done, I've done a lot of clinics. And um, so I don't know, there's legends of players like kind of hiding from the crowd when they pull out something they've something original that they don't want other people to, to copy. But I, I know that I've benefited by basically copying my favorite guitar players. And so I always felt like sharing the concepts behind what I'm doing. And dude, inspiration is like, Come on. It's why there's all those guitars on your walls. So it's all there's all these amps back there. It's like inspiration is the thing that is beyond the mundane, normal day to day. It's something that's like kind of strikes you deep and like makes you want to like reach for more or gives you a type of energy. And so mm -hmm. I just remember being inspired by so many guitar players. So if I can inspire other people, I feel like I'm giving them something that's like really valuable you know mm -hmm. yeah that's fantastic that's fantastic so how did you um then migrate to your own brand man okay so i was uh, because i play seven and eight string guitars it, it already limited like i couldn't just go to like guitar center or sam ash and like grab a gibson you know because it just didn't have um right. so i ended up seeking out Kind of luthiers who could make extended range instruments and um i commissioned a few custom guitars and i ended up having some unique ones like uh like strandberg and rick tune and these guys started employing like multi-scale and kind of ergonomic shapes um headless guitars and this is at a point where no ma major manufacturers were doing it you literally kind of had to like commission a custom guitar and wait a quarter of a year for it or whatever the case was but it kind of like created an appetite for these guitars that i wasn't seeing readily available so i was an ibanez guy and i was basically playing like an rg with extra strings on it and i was just kind of like this is cool but i had these kind of cool custom guitars at home that were almost like more purpose-built for extended range so i eventually realized i wanted to approach making kind of an eight string guitar from the ground up as opposed to 
taking an existing model and just throwing more strings on it. Mm -hmm. And um, Ibanez was cool with that. And so uh, I drew something up and we kind of, you know, we were prototyping stuff and it was going great, but they're such a large company that um, even very small changes require a lot of time. And there's a lot of moving parts, especially on the factory level, like that scale just requires a lot of time. And so um, I remember at one point just feeling like, damn, it'd be a shame if this guitar only came in one finish, only came in eight string. And if a guy wanted a seven string version in a quilted maple top, they probably weren't gonna do it. It just didn't fit, you know, it didn't fit with the business model. And living in Southern California, there are people who make guitars here and there are people who make amps here. So it was just kind of like, and I had designed it. So I was like, why well, own this design and my aspirations for this go beyond like a single skew for like a year. I, I would love to have a custom shop because I, I came from making, you know, I came from ordering custom guitars too. So long story short is like, I branched out on my own with um, a local luthier and we, we attempted a custom shop model, but that proved to be uh, a lot more complicated than I realized <laughs> um, for various reasons. So part of the reason I started the guitar company, I think is because I had no idea what I was getting myself into, if I'm going to be honest. <laughs> That's funny. You know, this the, that standard line that I use on a, on a bunch of like, generally amp designers when we have them on the show is, uh, so when did you realize you made that mistake <laughs> with your career? <laughs> <laughs> or, or your, you know, yeah. choice. Yes. Yeah. It's a funny way to put it, but it's like, yeah, like, yeah. I will say that fortunately I was naive enough and inspired enough to just like really want to do it, you know, because I think otherwise I would have talked myself out of it, you know, especially leaving a company like Ivanez. They're a fantastic company, super, you know, their roster is incredible. They were great, but. Luckily, I was ambitious and naive enough to, to try it. And I think there's this thing in me that wants to be original. And I think playing a guitar that I designed and like I'm at the center of production with, like it just felt like, it felt worth it, you know? So, yeah, sure. yeah man. So there yeah. it is. Cool. Yeah. So that's a, it's one of our Legion series. Um, so we, 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 we started to evolve our business model. We moved away from the custom thing. Mm -hmm. Like if you click on masters, yeah, yeah, you can see various iterations. Um, we moved away from the custom thing just because it was becoming kind of a logistical nightmare. And we, we now build, we spec the guitars based off of what we think really creates a well-playing, what good sounding, great looking instrument. And then once the guitar is complete, we offer them for sale. So no one's having to wait while their guitar is being built and then they're getting a call because, you know, some OEM manufacturer in Korea has shut down because of Corona and you can't get individual bridge saddles for another few. You know what I mean? There's all these yeah. whatever. So we, we sell what we have and we, we spec them the way we think works. And it has been really cool to get these things out into the world. It's like kind of a trip. Um, to see other people making music on something you produce. I don't know, Dave, do you have this experience? Like, you know, you hear someone like 
on a record with your amp or you, you're, you're, you know, it's going out into the world and these people are like using something you designed and it's kind of like this. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 No, absolutely. Yeah. I like that blue one. Um, that's very nice. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's always nice to hear that, especially if they did a good job, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, um, it, I, I find it so funny with amps, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing to me, like how many people can make them, uh, uh, you know, even in videos and things, eh, maybe not make them sound as good as they really do, you know, mm -hmm. and then just maybe they don't have an ear for it or something, you know, but then other people, you know, are amazing. Or, but then again, people's hands all sound different too. So it's hard to, uh, yeah. Well, you, you mentioned something to me that I thought was like really, really smart, but it was like, we were talking about amps and EQ and you, and it's like making an amp that's hard to make sound bad, like not giving the, the player the, the, the option to get a bad sound. It's kind of like tuning the amp to be in that sweet spot to where like, yeah. it essentially sounds away, but it was designed to, to sound a certain way. And you don't have carte blanche with how far you can, you know, whether it's scooping the mids or adding bass, you kind of parameterize what the voice of that amp's supposed to be, you know, you know, and the end result is, is kind of like you get something that sounds great most of the time, you know? Yeah. It's always, if you give them too much, uh, there's a good chance that they could make it sound bad maybe. So, um, yeah, I always kind of felt that way with graphic EQs. <laughs> Um, yeah. although a lot of those boogie amps needed that graphic EQ, but you potentially could definitely set it sound to sound just God awful, you know, um, uh, those were never easy amps to dial in. There was always a, there was always something you had to know about how to set the EQ just right. You know? <laughs> yeah. I've had some, especially if you've, Yeah. If you're an amp tweaker and you're sitting there and you've got like myriad options, it's not always the, the best thing. In the world. Right. You know, it's kind of like, and we all, we also make a telly thing. I don't know if you click on the, the top bar there, just in case anyone is watching, who's not an extended range dude. Um, HT. Yeah. Space T. Um, yeah, there you go. Just a basic. Cool. Mm -hmm. um, those are nice. Ergonomically shaped telly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. So it's been, it's it's kind of funny because as a musician, oh, you wow, there's an aged one. That's really interesting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, You're down with the relics. You, no, you know, no, I'm down with the relics. But what what I find extremely interesting is the mix of formats on this. So you have this extremely uh, modern, futuristic uh, body shape mixed with the, the vintage telly aesthetic and then toss in the relic on top of it. Right. That's yeah. cool. Why not? It's been from the future into the past, <laughs> into the present. <laughs> so can you tell us about some of the different, like go, go through the different series? What, what's the difference between the different series? Okay. So the Legion series is um, our most recent addition and it's guitars made in, in Korea, um, world music and, it was so we could kind of get people's stuff at a lower price point because 
manufacturing in the U.S. is is just it's expensive, um, and we we have a lot of a lot of players who would like a guitar but didn't necessarily have the the money for the U.S. shop stuff. Mm. So um, we were able to um, get something going with World Music to have a large inventory of more affordable guitars. And spec wise, it's sick. They're essentially, you know, it's a Wenge neck. It has the individual bridge saddles. It has the Fishman pickups. Um, so it's not like we cut corners. It's just we were allowed to produce them in a different, you know, in a different place that allows us to kind of offer them at a, a lower price point. And we were able to make a lot of them. That's the other thing. I mean, we're, we're constantly out of guitars because, you know, the scale at which we're making them here in the U.S., we're not doing, you know, huge numbers we're specifically because of i actually like hitting this sort of sweet spot where there isn't there's not a million of them and we can put a lot of attention on on you know each guitar that comes out we can choose the, the specs of each guitar that comes out but the legion was an attempt to kind of add a larger volume lower price point guitar gotcha. i like that yeah. light blue there in the picture it's really cool yeah i think that color too I think well, it's really those, cool uh, brown the brown a limited number of those sold out. Yeah. That's cool. Um, then we've got the Master Series. So Masters is made in the U.S. Um, by Grover Jackson, and we just kind of wanted to pay homage to you know his legacy as like a you know guitar builder, and so um, that's what those are. I, I, I had no idea that Grover was making these. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we were just like, and it's actually really cool. I think Grover has a, a knack for neck profiles in particular, um, which is, you know, a guitar is an interesting thing because, you know, mojo is a hard, it's a hard thing to identify why a guitar speaks to you. And particularly neck profiles, um, they really are like the primary point of contact with how you're playing. and. I think there is, you know, there's a bit of magic to how Grover is doing his neck profiles. Personally, I, I find that they, they feel good. Even on an eight string, it's kind of funny. I, he had never done it before, but I think he was able to translate, you know, his know-how into it and um, came out great. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Um, I really dig it. Yeah, that's. I didn't. I didn't. I had no idea that Grover was making uh, these types of instruments. It's great. Yeah, he probably. He's. Yeah. So the, the Spartan series is. Um, these are kind of like. Uh, they're all the same neck and body material. It's like this open pore swamp ash thing. Mm -hmm. So we called it Spartan just because it's like. It's kind of like a no frills, like straight ahead thing, and we can kind of price them a little bit more friendly because we're not doing a bunch of clear coats and various stuff like that. But um, those are made in the U.S. as well. Um, and yeah, they're cool. Go to 510 Bridge, Fishman Fluence pickups. Like Yeah, so that was more of a, a, a more of a normal style guitar. Yeah, it's not multi-scale. It's six yeah. strings, you know. With your take on the, on, on the body and everything. And mm -hmm. yeah, it's cool. Then the J-Series are made at um, Dyna, Dynagaki in Japan. So these are, um, you know, as an Ibanez guy, I just, you know, I realized that the Japanese really do 
excel at attention to detail and precision. And um, we were fortunate enough to get a relationship with Dinah. Um, and so we get a small batch of these and we do seven and eight strings with them. And um, yeah, they're cool. They're, they, these are, these stand out because the neck profile is actually asymmetrical. It's a teardrop shape. Oh. Yeah, because one thing I was realizing with a lot of necks on a six string, you can have a fat neck. Say you have like a vintage telly or something on a six string. Uh, it's a pretty fat neck, but it, it feels good. But if you were to make that an eight string neck, you'd, you'd be like, dude, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like a two by four. Right. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. So I have this idea of basically combining a slightly larger rounder neck profile that you'd find on like a more traditional six string and over the profile of the neck having it transition to a thinner more flat um profile as you approach the bass strings so you kind of end up with a teardrop shape so when you go to place your thumb for like widespread legato you kind of have a bit more neck to work with and then as your thumb creeps up the neck for like chords on an extended range, you have less neck material there. It's thinner. Um, and it's it was an experiment, but it's cool. People who have these J Laradas really like the asymmetrical neck profile. So that's exclusive to this Japanese line that we have. Mm, cool. Yeah, that's yeah. Super cool. And then we talked about the, the T series. Yeah. Great. So then. Uh, sorry, go ahead. What were you going to say? I said that. Yeah, so that's basically it. Is anything in stock? Uh, we are currently sold out of everything. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, we we have a we have a some guitars just got completed in QC today, so we're going to be going live soon. Cool. And um, then I know that you we talked about um, the pickups as well, right? So, mm -hmm. Yeah. So if these it, are your special pickups. Yeah, you put so. Fishman entered the the sort of the pickup game. I mean, Fishman's been known for acoustic pickups, piezo stuff, acoustic amplifiers, but um, they uh they came the market with these Fluence pickups, which are really cool. They're powered, you know, so they're kind of like an active thing, but they don't sound like EMGs. So I feel like when you say active, people instantly think of like the EMG sound, they these can sound like a PAF or like you know lipstick pickups or whatever the case is. Um, but basically, it's a forty-eight layer printed coil as opposed to a mechanic mechanically round mechanically wound coil around a magnet. They actually like have a uniform amount of layers, and so it's a forty-eight layer precision coil. It still works with magnets like ceramic or alnico or wherever the case is, but the end result is like kind of like a an HD pickup in a way. Like it's almost like you could take your favorite passive pickup and add a bit of compression, but not the type of compression that squashes the note, but the 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 stuff that lifts detail. Mm -hmm. And you can have a noiseless pickup, and then they're able to do two voices each. Mm -hmm. And which is really interesting. It's not like you're doing like a, a DB change or something like that. It's like, it sounds like two different distinct pickups. Um, and so I remember just playing these 
again, something I was working on already in passive set and just feeling like, I mean, the clarity is uncanny and the, and the, the flexibility is just phenomenal. Like the set we put in our telecasters or um, Greg Cox set. I don't know if you've heard of Greg Cox, but yeah, he's been on the show actually. Yeah. Greg, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Greg is an outlandish guitar player. And, yeah. you know, he's also a guy who's got a ton of great old Fender guitars. And so, you know, when I noticed that he was playing these, I was like, all right, this is a dude who definitely knows foundational tone and he's a fan of that stuff. And he's got a signature set of these things. And hearing him demo them, I was just blown away. It sounds like everything you'd want a Telecaster to do without the noise. And then even more clarity, you know. And what's cool is that they don't sound like un-guitar-like. You know, there's, the guitar is a particular instrument. I, and Dave, I think you could, you know, kind of speak to this when it comes to like, if you took a Vintage 30 speaker compared to like a PA speaker or a studio monitor, the, the yeah. Vintage 30 speaker is technically, it's colored and limited in its range, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I feel like a guitar pickup is similar where it's like you don't, you're not actually looking for like a, 100% translation, you're looking for character. It's kind of supposed to, you know what I mean? And Fluence was able to sound like a normal pickup, but just like kind of clean up some of the things like noise and it has an added degree of clarity. For me, it's like that middle line between, you know, some of the benefits of an active pickup, but without the sacrifices and then some of the benefits of a passive pickup without some of the shortcomings. And I think they're great. Yeah, I think that, I mean the fluent stuff sounds really good. I mean, I don't I I I am a non-active pickup guy too. So, um mm -hmm. but the fluents do sound good. They do sound really good. It's not like an EMG like you said, you know, not at all. Um mm -hmm. you know, just pick your flavor of what you want depending on what your style is, you know. Yeah, yeah, they're um definitely worth plugging in, especially into like a tube amp, like even something like a Fender with a lot of range or something like that, or whatever you've got, just cause it's a, you can talk about tone a lot, but there's also the feel of the pickup and just like the response. So whoever is listening or watching, you get a chance. I know some manufacturers are kind of putting the fluence in their guitars, like from factory. So you can, you can go and, and try them out, but I'm a big fan. Yeah, they're cool. Mm -hmm. I, I own one guitar with a set of a minute, so it's, yeah. it's cool. Which set do you have, Dina? Uh, it's the one. Uh, it's the slightly hotter one, so it's the, the one that's a little more like a JB kind of um, set. It does two different sounds, and um, mm -hmm. at least that one. But then I have heard Steve Stevens had a, a set that was more of the vintage PAF-y one. Mm -hmm. that he liked he liked right. that a lot too so can i ask you dave when you're uh -huh. voicing an amp uh-huh do you do you have like how do you do you have a go-to guitar or do you say like okay it doesn't really matter the guitar but i need you know a, a duncan 59 style humbucker is going to give me a uniform and do you use that as like a control or is that not even how it works um I have various guitars. Uh, generally, though, I'll. Generally, what I tend to like is a pickup that is kind of a uh, slight. I, I I don't like really hot pickups. I tend to like 
um, more PAF like, but ones that are a little more rock version of PAF type. If 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 you kind of understand what I mean, ones that have a little more cut and a little more thing, not quite as vintage. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, vintage ones sounding ones are cool, but that's a whole different thing. Mm -hmm. So, um, uh, my favorite pickup probably of all time was um, the Motor City pickups with a guy that winds pickups out of Detroit. Um, second degree black belt. It's very open PAF-y kind of thing, but real percussive and rock-like, you know, really cool. Nice. Um, so that's kind of my favorite pickup of all time. Um, and then, of course, later I got into making pickups. Uh, we didn't copy it in any way, but uh, I, I came up with something also that I really like. Um, that is in what I basically said in that vein of, but, but I have guitars, I have guitars over here to the right of me that you can't see that, that, uh, vary in heat, you know? So like I, I have different, I have ones that are a little more vintage. So I have a vintage telly. Okay. I can listen to amps with that. I have a, um, you know, three single coil vintage style strat. I can listen to things like that. I can you know, super strat humbucker guitars that do that, you know, Van Halen-esque sort of thing, so to speak. Then I have a, 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 you know, a Les Paul that'll do that kind of thing. And then I have an EVH guitar that Eddie gave me that um, is kind of hot, you know, hot on the pickup side. So I can listen to the amp with that pickup. Mm -hmm. And then I have some other stuff with some Duncan stuff in it too. So, I find it generally, if I voice it just with my one guitar that I really like to pick up in, uh, it, it kind of translates to all the pickups. Mm -hmm. it, it's just that the different guitars will give you the different flavors you want. Right. So it's that's how I always look at it. It's like, um, you know, when you plug the vintage telly in, it's going to sound like a, a, a telly, but maybe through this blazing distortion, which is super cool sounding, you know, snarly mm -hmm. and, and, and a tacky. Um, same thing with the Strat, you know? So if the amp sounds good with all the pickups, you're golden. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds like you got all the, the flavors kind of yeah. on deck, so you, you can basically sample. The, the funny thing is, like, in traditional guitars, at least, you know, there's not that many flavors, so to speak. I mean, there are a lot of pickups out there and this and that. But tried and true basics, you have your PAF style humbucker or your slightly more rock version of the PAF style humbucker. You have your JB-esque humbucker, so to speak, the slightly hotter thing. You know, you have your vintage single coils uh, for strats and vintage tele pickups and things like that. You know, in, in the normal guitar genre, that's about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, really. I mean, there's slight variations and some pickups. You know, the thing is with every guitar, you have to find sort of the pickup that works really well with that particular guitar, I think. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're really, you know, some guitars, it's like, well, I don't like it with this pickup, but it sounds really cool with this one. Yeah. Well, it's kind of funny. Like, I think a lot of people when they're buying guitar, they try to find the guitar that speaks to them and whatever's in it, apparently is working for that guitar in that time. Mm -hmm. But then, yeah, maybe sometimes over time you, you want to swap stuff out and, you know. You sure, sure. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I I've I've done that over the years, and you know I've kind of you, you, you what I find is generally you come full circle, you know. Mm. So you start with something you really like it, and then you go ah you know I don't know if I like it, and then I want to try something else, and you try something else, and you try something else, and you try something else, and then in the end you come back to that original pickup, and you're like why the hell did I ever even try these other ones? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I've been guilty of that. You know that happens. That happens so many times over the years and after a while if you've done it long enough you're kind of like yeah i don't need to even bother i don't need to go there yeah you know and um you know i'm kind of also like uh you know i'll, I'll go on record sort of saying like you know pretty much anything like seymour duncan makes sounds pretty good you know what I mean? There are different variations, but I can pretty much say that all their pickups sound good. Mm-hmm. Might not be for you, but they all sound good. You can't always say that with every pickup manufacturer. Um, you know, so yeah, I don't yeah. know where I'm going with that. <laughs> <laughs> so what what amps do you play, Tosin? Um. So I was, uh, for a lot of the touring that we have done, I was using a fractal. Um, and funnily enough, I, we just run the, the, the Friedman Harry Brown eye <laughs> the, like patch in the, in the fractal. Right, yeah. Nose over. <laughs> I get no money from that. Yeah. No. Hopefully it's exposed people to how sick those amps sound and and the brain in general. But like we would do that and then it's kind of like it's kind of like what Dave was saying a minute ago with pickups. It's like you start with something that seems you start you have a starting point, and then you go on a search for alternatives and maybe unconventional things. So at a point I was running a fractal with powered full range flat response speakers. So instead of tubes and like guitar cabs, I was running essentially powered monitors. Then I'd go direct into the front of house. And I mean, eventually I just came back around to pedals and a a tube head and cabs. So the last touring rig I had was a Morgan um, SW50R, which I use as a pedal platform. And I would run the Friedman BE the OD100 pedal as like a rhythm and slap tone. Um, it, it allowed me to um, almost have like a five channel amp. I mean, it's, it's as many as many drive pedals as you have, you basically have, you know, but it, the amp gave me all the tube response. And um, that's, that was, that's my last touring rig. So basically a pedal platform, getting all my flavors of drives from pedals into a single channel head. Yeah. Yeah, and I dug the, the the Morgan because it it's got it's got a lot of headroom to it because it's it's just it's like a lot of country guys are using using this head. It's super. It's got a fast transient attack and it's very percussive, but it doesn't have much breakup at all. So when you put a, a a good pedal in front of it, you have this sort of hybridized sound. It's almost like if you could take a high gain head but open it up a bit. And it seems to just breathe a bit more. And in a way, you're deriving your distortion from, you know, the preamp and the, and the pedal. 
And so it, it's a bit more controlled. Like a lot of the modern metal is like, we're asking of our distortion, like we're asking a, a high level of precision as far as when the note starts and when it stops and how much sag there is and how much, it's almost like you don't, you want, you don't want any of that stuff. You want this like razor precision type of distortion. And so I found that with like with the Friedman pedal, I got that awesome flavor of the Friedman sound. I just didn't have a Friedman amp at the time. And so I was playing into the Morgan and it's kind of like a hybrid version. It's kind of cool. Mm -hmm. And then if I want to throw another pedal in there, I'm not limited to the specific amp. I can get a right. You can get some different flavors. Yeah. You can yeah. Yeah. Wrap into. Mm -hmm. so what's that amp behind you right there? Uh, Misha let me borrow his matchless. This is a Clubman 35. Oh, nice. This thing is cool. It is very, it has a lot of personality. Mm -hmm. I wanted to ask you, Dave. So I use compression on the front end, but yeah. I noticed amps have a type of compression. It seems to come from the power amp section of the amp. It's almost yeah. like. Yeah, there's some, especially something like, like that matchless or something. Uh, there's a certain, um, it's really sort of a sag, a sag mm. to the whole thing that kind of gives you that feel of compression. You mm. know, the amp is actually sagging. It's not, it's not really compressing per se, uh, yeah. especially if it's cleaner. It's not really compressing. It's just sagging because when you're smacking it hard, it's kind of giving like a compressor gives. Right. So, um, might not work in every uh, in every application, you know. Mm -hmm. at, at least with what when when we had gotten together, you know, with the pedals and and your 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 Bogner pedal and and your different things, you have kind of control over what you were doing into the pedal pedal platform, so you could kind of go from one thing to another. Mm -hmm. yeah. With the kind of relatively. Yeah, I mean, like the you know people like anyone is listening. I mean, it's like for what normal amps do not necessarily apply for what Tosin wants to do. Uh, it, it 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 there's a it's very it's very style specific and very guitar specific to the kind of thing you're trying to create. It's it's a very specific. Um, recipe so to speak mm -hmm. you know and and, it, and you have to kind of throw your normal train of thinking out the window well just like looking even looking at the guitars it's the same concept you know it's like throw what you know about the guitar out the window and look at this from a, a fresh viewpoint you know yeah I, I think that's it's kind of cool to maybe have a sound in mind and then start with a blank slate of how you want to get there versus, yeah. you know, cause yeah, I definitely, for me, it's, it's almost like a traditional, just, it's like what I want out of distortion is very close to amp, what amps that do exist, but there's just like some, some details that I, it's, I don't always find in the specific amp, but if I can break it out into pedals and like compartmentalize it, I'm able to control every, every stage of it and, and kind of get that end result. Yeah, cool. That's cool. Hey, we've got a, a few questions, or got a lot of questions uh, for you. Um, one question from our reg one of our regular viewers, unfucking believable. Uh, what's up? 
How are you? <laughs> uh, I think you still have the best name of anyone. <laughs> and he, he was able to do it in limited number of letters too. So he, he got it all in there. Um, Tosin's home setup versus touring versus recording uh, and, and plugins for recording. That was a very good question. All right, home setup is a playground. So I've got Synergy stuff here. I've got Fractal stuff. I've got, you know, this match list. I've got a Friedman run. I've got multiple pedal boards and I've got all my guitars. So this is like where it doesn't matter. You're not having to play a set that has certain songs from certain, you're just, you can play with all the stuff you have. Um, then on for tour, there are certain considerations, especially if you're touring internationally. I think this is why modelers get a lot of use because there are a lot of bands who don't have budgets. I would love to have a, an A rig, a B rig, and a C rig, and there's one in Europe, and there's one in the States, and sure. but we don't, we don't have that kind of, so um, for touring, I would usually run a fractal, um, but then I started touring with my pedal board. I never did any any international touring with flying ahead. Um, I would just source something over there, usually like a Mesa or something with an effects loop. Um, but I think future touring rig will be tube amp and pedal board, and I'll find some cabs when I get over there. Um, yeah. And then recording is literally whatever works. I think with recording, you should be objective. Um, for instance, for the recording we're doing, I'm using a plugin for virtually all the tones. Um, it's the Neural DSP Archetype Abasi plugin. And we swapped out some IRs, but objectively, um, it seemed to get the job done. But this is a plugin I designed specifically for my sound. Yeah. So that's the caveat. <laughs> it's like, I made it sound like I wanted it to sound. Um, so that's what we're using for recording. But I'm really loving a tube head into a reactive load lately, as far as even for recording it. I think it beats out a fractal, it beats out a Kemper. Um, maybe it's in my head, but I feel like having a good reactive load and a good cabinet, um, a good speaker IR with a real head is kind of like the perfect way to get a tube tone into the into the computer. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Sure. I agree. I agree. Um, we have a super chat from Harmonicaster, Dave, for you. Uh, it says, Dave, I picked up a BEOD to try with my electric harmonica with the internal gain pot at nine. It sounds nice and creamy. When will we see a double BE Dirty Shirley pedal? First of all, I love the fact that you're putting a harmonica through the BEOD. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> uh, and as far as the BEDS pedal, well, no time really in the future that I know of. Um, but, uh, you know, hey, maybe you could try it with a small, new small box pedal that just came out today. Today is, yeah. the release. Today is the release of the small box pedal. Oh, oh yes. So, so it's, in, it's in all the stores? 
Yeah, it is in the stores now. It's up in Sweetwater. So if you guys click our link and you want to buy it, it's on sale right now too. So Ooh. it's uh, it's on sale right now for one fifteen uh, percent off. So it's one sixty nine ninety nine. I think. Yeah, we'll make sure with the small box. How's that? How's that voice? Or like, what's the flavor? Well, um, okay. Well, it's le- I mean, it's less gain than the BEOD, obviously. Um, Sounds good though. Like it sounds, it, it'll still it'll do anything from light crunch to like uh, heavier kind of stuff. You might really like it. Actually, I should get mm. you one to try. I'm down. See what you think. Um, yeah, I think you'd like it. It'd be a different flavor. It's a little different. I mean, it has the it has that. It's still in the vein of my amps. You know, it's still mm-hmm. that. Um, it does not have the tight knob. Um, so to speak, it's kind of preset, okay. but um, I, I'd like to actually hear what you think of it. It'd be interesting to hear it with your kind of scene. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. So it's on sale now for one sixty nine ninety nine. Uh, you know, at after December seventh, it it should go back up uh, for most of the retailers um, to one ninety nine, like the same as the other pedals we have. Cool. So. Uh, if you haven't checked it out, check out Michael Nielsen's video of it. Uh, there's another guy, Alberto. Um, mm, a, a new video guy that we had uh, from Spain, Alberto something, um, and it's on my personal Facebook. I posted it right now, so you can check him out too. He's doing a different stylistically, different kind of video. Mm. Yep. That's great. Uh, I thought this was a good question. Also, Alex Lyson, an influence for you? Yeah, but not as directly as I think he is for a lot of other players. Like, um, but Rush, obviously impactful. Yeah, I just—I don't think I ever like transcribed any of his like lead work or anything like that. But like, I'm obviously, you know, this is an interesting thought. What about 2011? Yeah, so I primarily know 2011 from like the liquid tension experiment and and some I guess some King Crimson stuff, but if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. But like, yeah, I do dig the thing. You know? uh, yeah, I hear a little I, I see a little of that in there. Yeah. <laughs> whether, whether you know it or not. <laughs> That's the funny thing, it's the whether you know it or not part. I remember yeah. I heard some some early King Crimson, and I was like, "Holy shit! It sounds like I've been stealing from these guys." But I have yet. This is my first time hearing it. It happened with Zappa. Yeah, it yeah. happened with some Pathetini yeah. stuff too. And I'm like, it's almost like there's like this collective consciousness, and you're just like tapping into it. You know, it's, it's pretty. Yeah, cool. you you got there on on your own, tapping into it. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How is it playing with? Um... You went on tour with Nuno and and Steve Vai and Zach Wilde. I forget what was that. What was that tour? Uh, Generation Axe is what it Generation was. Generation Axe, right? And you guys did Bohemian Rhapsody together, and that was like a big thing that like yeah. broke the internet for a while. It must have been a trip, uh, considering like you were just saying your influences of Ingve and and Vi and all this stuff, and you're being the new guy on the block, so to speak, in that camp. And and what a bunch of interesting personalities to have on the bus, dude. 
<laughs> Dude, I, look. Wait a minute. I got to ask this. How many times did Zach talk you under the table? He, he never shuts up. Dude, Zach. I love Zach. But Zach he, had like pro wrestler energy. Like, yes. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. I know. Dude, I love those guys. They're like just larger than life personalities. Um, iconic. It, I mean, look, for me, my primary expo- exposure to Vi and Ingve and Zach and Nuno was on the cover of Guitar World magazine yeah. and like MTV and stuff. So I remember walking into the first rehearsals and just being like, holy shit. You know what I mean? Like, these are yeah, but, some of my biggest influences. I mean, but, you know, I see like you and Vi and Nuno. Okay. I see. I, 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 everyone getting along nice and but there's some big personalities with the other two Dude. that must have been, that must have been some interesting times <laughs> all, right, all right yeah dave, dave wants the the, the well, no i mean i'm not looking no i and i don't i actually don't know i've never met ingve myself uh i i love zach zach's a friend of mine um but i mean they're they're, they're bigger than life personalities both of them well, yo, here's here's the thing. It should have been interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, it was interesting. I mean, Generation X attempted to take dudes who normally headline and mm-hmm. their own shit and put it all into kind of like a collaborative thing. And so, you know, sometimes there's some friction with like you've been headlining your own shows for the past however yeah. long, and now you're like there's a single tour manager, and you've got to kind of compromise in certain ways because you know you're doing this thing with a whole bunch of other headliners so so vi was basically like the peacemaker he was like <laughs> very much like he kind of floated above it all he, he could absorb all of the personalities and just calm his, and zen yeah he's yeah. super zen and his whole thing was just to like make everyone seem heard and, and valid and make sure that the show didn't get fucked because of anyone being pissed or not having what they want or whatever the case yeah. is. Um, I mean, surprisingly, it it went. There was no real drama, but I will say, the collective stories that those dudes have between <laughs> with David Lee Roth and Ozzy Osbourne and Nuno's whole thing, like with you know number one single like international like during the help like those dudes and i i wish we could have filmed or done some sort of reality tv thing like off stage because mm-hmm. every night they were just telling me the most outrageous stories i've ever heard and i'm like dude you couldn't you couldn't even really say this stuff just the climate we have socially you this is shit you can't really get yeah, away yeah, with. yeah 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 i i've yeah, I've heard some things. Yes. Yeah. So you, you have an idea, but um, you know, I never stopped being. I always I, I never stopped being the. I don't want to say little kid, but it was it never stopped being novelty to me that I'm like sitting at a dinner table with Vi and, and Ingve and and Zach and Nuno, and you know I'm on the bill with them, 
but I, I just like secretly in my brain was always just referential and just totally like, dude, I can't believe this. This is crazy. All right, right. But yeah. Each one of those dudes, the moment they play something, you know exactly who it is. It's like uh-huh, each sure. one of them. It's kind of like, and yeah, that's a, that. It was really cool. Yeah, it's like bucket list shit. You know. Yeah, that's awesome. And then you play lots with of Marshall, Marshall lots of Marshall cabs up there. Well, <laughs> yeah, yeah you see the English setup. It's it's funny. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no it's, it's funny because those guys are. I feel like they found a formula that works for them, and they just like hit park. They're like, "Cool, that's it." Yeah. Boss, does, does, does Ingve ever not wear leather pants? You know, <laughs> he wears jeans sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> All right, but I will tell you something funny, and I hope that this doesn't piss off Ingve. But like, we were on a tour bus together, right? Like, Ingve doesn't have pajamas, like. Mm-hmm. You're never gonna catch Ingve like in his like you know sweat pants. Like I just I never saw it. Like he just always looked <laughs> like ready. Like he's just Ingve mode. And like it was just kind of curious to me. There was never the like yeah. <laughs> sweatpants and hoodie moment. <laughs> it never right. happened. Downtime like not being Ingve. Yeah, like that man is committed. You know, <laughs> he's always on. He's always cool. It's like it's. It's a lot. Right? Yeah. <laughs> That's funny. And then um I I didn't I don't think I got to see the video, but you play with Brian May. Okay, well Brian joined us for like a Zoom performance thing. So he filmed Oh, I see. Okay. That's right. Yeah, I mean we we all put it in, but he he did uh yeah, he did a, a real take and the solos like slightly different. It's super, super cool. And um Steve Steve I arranged Bohemian Rhapsody for for five guitars. And on the first tour, we we actually didn't play it because it was just such a demanding thing to execute on top of all the other songs that we were doing together. Mm-hmm. But like halfway through, we, we started doing rehearsals at Soundcheck and, you know, Ingve, you know, almost didn't do it at first. And then we, we were able to enroll him. He literally was like, I don't trust myself to play the same thing twice. He was like, I can't do the orchestra thing. Like mm. he's just got a go button, but it it worked out. And that song with that song, that song arranged for five guitars, and then the actual guitarist playing it like in a room full of like guitar fans. It's just kind of was like it's almost like religious or something. It's almost like we're singing a hymn or something. Everyone knows yeah. it, and everyone's feeling the same thing. And it was like so cool. Yeah, totally. That's awesome. Yeah, I love watching it. It's great. Um, I want to answer the, this question real quick because uh, it stuck out to me in the music store. Hey, Mark, how are you and your family doing? Everybody's good. Thanks for asking. I appreciate We're it. We're all healthy. Yeah, all doing well, thankfully. Um, Oh, they also said Tosin is such a well-spoken gentleman, so insightful. I can listen to him all day long. That's nice. Nice. Um, Your schooling paid off. Yeah. <laughs> no, I will drop out, but fair <laughs> Well, then you were raised properly. Yeah. Read some books. Yeah. Um, Dave and Grover thinking in seven-string guitars. Cali seven. Uh 
uh, not at the moment. Uh, maybe eventually. Do I it. don't know. We'll see. I don't know. That'd be fun to do. I'd like to do it. Yeah, I played a. Is it the NoHo that's a double cut? It's almost kind of like a. Uh, the NoHo is a short scale twenty four fret um, guitar, so it's Gibson scale, but twenty four okay. fret. But it's like a double cut, almost super strat style. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, with yeah. a maple cap on it. Yeah, yeah, those are killer. Yeah, that's I super cool. Buy it, actually, yeah, <laughs> like, super cool. If you did a seven super. of that, I think it'd be a shred machine. Oh yeah, oh, seven. That'd be interesting. Seven NoHo, yeah, that was aged. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm -hmm. We'll do it like Sammy Bowler's guitar, aged. <laughs> does he have a, he have a white one? Yeah, have you seen that in videos or something? Yeah, uh, yeah, he has a white one. It's funny. That's the first one we did like that, and it was it was like almost sacrilege because the maple top was really nice under it, painted right over that thing. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but then wore away the paint, and then you saw the maple and 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 the, the flame maple, and you're like, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> And everyone, when that first, when we first did that, everyone's just like, "Oh my god, that's amazing looking." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I agree. So, so uh, you know, I don't know. There you go, Sammy, and you should do a song. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Totally different approaches and styles, but interesting. That could be cool. Yeah. Um. Would Tosa never play a six string again from Steve Wilhart? Yeah, I I, I play six. Um, I uh, I've been playing six more and more lately. So it, it's usually outside of the animals as leaders context. That's the only thing. But as a guitarist, yeah, like I think the six string guitar is kind of the. If I'm being honest, it's like it's a definite sweet spot and it definitely ain't broke like there's just especially you're talking about the scaling um when you get into extended range you start to extend the scale length and the, the neck gets bigger i find that the six string guitar will just never be irrelevant it is it is definitely a sweet spot for guitar um so and some of the best ones are sixes so yeah i've got a few of my arsenal and i definitely play them that's cool excellent uh, from Purposeful Porpoise, Tosin, are you going to design an amp? Uh, I don't know. That could be cool. Could be. <laughs> um, yeah, I love amps. I think especially now that we have so many usable digital versions, it is almost create a full circle appreciation for like being in a room with an amp and plugging into it and just being like, there is there is no replacement for this. There just isn't. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So, um, how do you like the synergy stuff? I know you you mentioned that you were playing that before. What which modules do you have? Um. So I've got a few. I've got the Morgan AC twenty. I have the Fryat one. Mm -hmm. I have. What am I missing? Um, I've got a diesel, the Soldano. Um, I have the BE. So I think they're. Um, I think the synergy stuff is a really smart way to get some of the uh, flexibility of, like, say, like a 
multi-processor thing, but without going digital. And so you you have an analog setup, but you have almost like, you know, it's not a modeler, but you have like the same, you have similar capacity to have a, a rig that contains a whole bunch of amps that you don't actually own. Right. <laughs> More of the story. And I think it's really great for someone looking for that type of uh, flexibility. You know what I mean? And I would just say that the real amps have power sections that you can't replace. So depending on, you know, how you're running it, um, you know, whether it's an amp with KT88 tubes or 6L6s, but it's got a mercury transformer or whatever the case is, a lot of that does contribute to the, the, the end result of the tone. So, yep. you know, but I think for people who can't afford to have a Soldano and a Friedman and a Morgan or whatever, mm -hmm. it's a cool intermediate that isn't digital. You know what I mean? And I know ninety-five percent of the way there was really close, bro. Yeah, it's kind of crazy, and it's pretty ingenious. And so I, I, I think people should. I think this. I think it makes sense for a lot of people. If I'm being honest, especially with home setups and stuff like that. Or even touring, man, like you run a few of the Sin 2 racks and you get, you know, four different modules in there. You've got, you know what I mean? you got a pretty monstrous rig at that point, you know? Yeah. What's Vi running? He's got eight of them? Dude, mm, Vi. Uh, uh, I think he's, no, I think he's using mostly two preamps when he does it. So it's like four, four, four modules. Four modules. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So he was running the Synergy stuff on gen x even before he had his own module yeah. um he was running the morgan ac20 and there's a fender basement one i think mm -hmm. and um and i think vi is definitely a guy who as often as possible wants to be playing directly into an amp like he doesn't really want to do the digital conversion thing um yeah. and i respect him for it and he, he's seen a lot of gear over his his career and I like that he's actually objective as opposed to, you know, he's just sticking to what he knows he wants out of something. And if that means, you know, he has less flexibility or it means he's got to wait for that gear to, to exist, he will wait as opposed to compromising on, on the outcome. So, mm -hmm. yeah, but Synergy, I remember him being stoked about it. And it's, it's for those reasons. You get the flexibility of like a modeler, but you, you're not converting your signal and dealing with all that other stuff. Well, you know, with a with a modeler, um, gives you option op option anxiety. You know what I mean? <laughs> dude, you know, and Dave, dude, you're gonna sit there and play with it, try to tweak it, try to tweak it, try to tweak it. Get it? I can get it better. I can get it better. I can get it better. And before you know it, uh, a week later, you haven't played a note. <laughs> Yo, yeah, throw in some edibles or some. <laughs> <laughs> you are god lost you're lost forever that's great and dave i wanted to ask you because you actually like can understand some of the deep editing but in the fractal dave, by the time you're in page oh, three no, yeah. menu, you're into capacitance and and yeah yeah transformer slew rate this that <laughs> blah, blah blah you know it, 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 there is something to be said for something simple that you just have knobs and you just go boom, boom, boom. Oh, there's a the sound. Okay, great. Now I can play the song. 
yeah. you know, whether that be a pedal into a clean amp or whether that be a, a multi-channel amp or be a single channel amp or whatever, there is something to be said because I know how this works. And generally down the modeler trip, you are constantly, constantly tweaking it. Dude. Constantly, never oh, ends. I don't know. It doesn't sound right today. I don't know. I'm gonna tweak it. And that, where's the gain again? Oh wait, here it is on this page. And where's that? Oh, okay, I gotta find the slew rate of the transformer. <laughs> I liked that before. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was that guy. You know, on Gen X, they were making fun of me because I'd be fucking poking around in that thing. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> oh, I imagine especially Zach. Dude, yeah, yeah. They found it very amusing. <laughs> yeah. That's I funny. just plug an overdrive pedal into a JC Main Hunter, call it a day. <laughs> Low-key, you know, I, I especially in my genre of music, there's a lot of like obsession over gear. And it was refreshing to go out with Gen X and see boss pedals and a freaking sloppy pedal board and <laughs> and you're just like and these guys are getting great results and it's like not this esoteric like nasa rig you know it's like yeah right i I always i always sort of said that in doing rigs over the years for a million people it's it's all the pro rigs generally speaking used very simplistic effects it wasn't it was like Oh, there's a boss delay and a boss chorus, and oh, wait, it had you know maybe a tube screamer and this and that and some other stuff, uh, but nothing crazy boutique or nothing crazy anything, and they got great sounds. <laughs> yeah, so it can happen. Yeah. Um, Deja Blue. Tosin, do you do all your graphic design? Love your logo and the whole aesthetic. I, I agree. It looked great. Thanks. Yeah, the um, logo was great. My ex-girlfriend did the logo. I'm going to have to give her some props. Um, she labored over that, and word marks are a whole thing. Like It's like a whole facet of graphic design. But um, I am into design. My brother is a menswear designer, and I kind of got influenced by him. And I, um, I'm into everything from Apple to Porsche, like companies that make well-performing products, but the function is informed by the form or vice versa. And so um, with my guitar designs, I definitely wanted to have something that looked kind of modern or maybe even forward. And um, ergonomics are interesting because it's a purposeful way to design something. And it's similar to how aerodynamics work. Like you have an object that is operating in a context and there's lift and there's drag and there's stuff like that. And so the shapes you use aren't arbitrary. They relate to the fact that it's, it's actually interfacing with some sort of medium like high velocity air or whatever the case is. So the guitar, um, as it interface with interfaces with the body, I feel like there are a lot of opportunities to kind of, make that feel a bit more seamless. And so things like lightweight materials and removing removing parts, you know, whether it's very deep um, bevels or belly cuts, or we have sections cut out of the instrument. Um, all of this 
ends up looking kind of futury, but it does have some some mild ergonomic benefits and it's all design, you know. So I definitely wanted to do something kind of stylish and forward looking. Um, so much of guitar stuff is concreted in like, it's kind of like, you know, like the electric guitar in some ways was epitomized by like the inception of rock music. So everything from Van Halen to Led Zeppelin, you have this sort of aesthetic and a lot of these quintessential guitars were designed at a point in time that because of our heroes, we don't really reconceive. It's like if you play a Strat, you're playing a Strat for various reasons. It's a great instrument, but I feel like Fender doesn't have the brand license to make something super, super 2020 looking because everyone wants the thing that they made and whenever the Strat yeah. was conceived of. And so I'm happy to not have those constraints and I definitely want to make something modern. Um, and so that's kind of where the whole design approach comes from. Yeah, I like it. I think that's uh, super, super cool because, you know, the most, the vast majority of consumers do want to see the stuff that they're familiar with. And if you can break the mold and make something new, I think that's great. I mean, I, I and, and and I very much see that stylist, uh, you know, that Porsche sort of stylistic sort of modern approach, which I and stripped down at the same time. So, not very clean lines. In other words, minimalistic but modern. Yes. Yeah. Which yeah, is super it's hard to do. Hard to do. Yeah, yeah, super hard to do. Yeah, I, I get yeah. it though. But it, there, there is still a, um, you know, I don't know. I'll throw it out there. But there's still like this sexiness about the way it looks. You know, it's like this it has, still has this thing. It's super modern, but it's it's really pretty cool looking. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm happy to hear that. Yeah, it does yeah. have like a, I, you know, look, dude, you look at a sports car and it, it's kind of sexy. There's like you're kind of like I want mm -hmm. that. You know yeah, what I mean? I look at it this way. I'm looking at some of the guitars that Mark put up on the screen and I'm like looking at it going, yeah, I kind of want one. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh. And, and it, it just like, uh, I don't know. I don't have anything like it, but it looks really cool. You know? That is the perfect response. Yeah. That is yeah. exactly what we want. Oh, I agree. I was like, oh, do you have any lefties? Are you a lefty? <laughs> I am a lefty. Yeah, he is. He's cursed. Yeah, this Dude, this right. image is backwards. They don't get enough love. Um, I know. We have some coming, actually, so I'm going to have to shoot you an email. It might have more a string extra than you're used to. <laughs> I'll, I'll give it a shot. I've, I've been scared to try, but I want to... Uh, That's fun. It, it, it like throws your mind into a different, um, a different thing. You're going to play different stuff. You're going to just try to do yeah. different things. You know, which is I think that's cool. Yeah, dude, you've probably been playing a good amount of time, and you'd be surprised what one extra string does for creativity and just working outside the box. And you've got a bunch of six strings anyway, so you might as well have one seven. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, different flavor for sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, let me go through the questions. 
it, a 10 string guitar. I mean, what do you think about some of these guitars that are just getting so many strings? It's, it's getting a bit crazy, right? Wait, does a 10 string guitar exist? Yes. I've seen, I didn't, I don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> there, um, I haven't seen a 10. Look, well, it depends on how you do that 10. <laughs> right, right. Okay, look, the internet is vast, and there's there's for sure a 10-string electric somewhere, or there's a luthier who'll make you one. You can find a humbucker or a bridge for that guitar. Good luck. But there are probably ways to do that. I, I mean, I saw, I saw a video of Jared Dines playing like an 18-string guitar or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He got – yeah, that's, it's utterly insane. <laughs> okay. um, some one of those guys, I forget who it was, but yeah, Rob Scal. No, was it? It was Jared. It was Jared. Okay. okay. But there's there's this Russian girl, and I'm forgetting her name, but she plays classical, only classical, and she has a ten string guitar. Wow. And I think it relates to a tradition of Brahms guitar. I could be wrong. Um, but there are some. Yeah, I don't want to. Basically, I think for the electric guitar, the most I've really seen on any real accessible scale is the nine string. Like Schechter did one and Ibanez did one. Um, I have one. Look, I'm very open-minded when it comes to the amount of strings you have on an instrument, but at a point, the hand is only so big. There is there is a yeah. physical limitation to it. It's kind of like, you know, um, and the irony is like how much you can do on a six string guitar tuned to standard is mind blowing. Like, Look at Alan Holdsworth or Pat Metheny or Van Halen. Like a six string guitar is capable of a ton. So there's kind of this arms race, or there was for like more and more strings, but I think the dust is kind of settling and a lot of people aren't necessarily hypnotized by adding more strings. But I do, I do, I personally like extended range because um, I like having the bass register just for the way I play. I, I, I do like having that. So. But 10 strings, not for me. Yeah, and I, Steve, said it, Ormsby was the one that made the 18-string. Yeah. Uh, cool. Interesting. Um, do you ever play acoustic? I think there was a question here uh, looking. I play classical guitar. I don't have a steel string acoustic. So, but um, I do love classical guitar. I love acoustic guitars. The guitar is an acoustic instrument. You know, as electric players, we, I think we're constantly, I mean, look, we got an amp builder and we've got, you know, electric guitar players here. It's like definitely like in its own right, like you could almost could be perfectly happy with only electric guitars, but I do think that um, the guitar as an acoustic instrument is really beautiful. And, um, I'm not into just like strumming Bob Dylan songs and stuff, but I do like uh, I do like classical guitar, so I play that a bit. That's cool, nylon strings. Mm -hmm. A little bit like uh, Steve Stevens, right? Um, let me see if uh, just going through the questions, make sure we get everybody's question. Um, but I also want to be respectful of your time, Tosin. Um, well, my girlfriend's apparently stranded somewhere, so. Oh, well, then we. Well, not out of... Anyway, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll let you go soon then. Uh, Dave, did you see my text on that? Yep. 
I answered you. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, let me just go through here. I'll be right back. Here we go. Okay. Um, from Plexico. Tosin, do you feel the music industry is more tolerant of race than other industries? Have you had artistic issues in Washington, D.C., uh, uh, any issues that were troublesome? Um, yeah, that's an interesting question. Yeah. Uh, we weren't really sure if we wanted to ask it. Yeah, quite honestly, I was. that's why I texted Dave. I wasn't sure I wanted to ask the question. Uh, well, look, I mean, race is kind of a thing that's being talked about a lot right now. So, I mean, it is what it is. I personally haven't really had a lot of negative experiences. Um, and it might be because I'm the guy on stage playing guitar. And so I, I get validated in a way that's different, but I will say like, dude, being on tour and waking up and going into the venue, right. When the venue's opening up, like you wake up on your tour bus and you can load in maybe as early as, you know, 11 AM, 10 AM. And sometimes they don't, they're like, can we help you, sir? Like, what are you, what are you doing here? <laughs> because I, I, they're, they're, they're thinking a metal band's playing that night and they they don't associate black people. Yeah. Well. So yeah. you'll just get this sort of like, can we help you thing? I don't read that as negatively as some people might, because I can acknowledge that I'm kind of anomalous in, in my genre. You know what I mean? Um, and then usually like, it's fine. And I have a weird, like obviously my band's performing and we have fans coming to see us. So they're, they're, they're fans. They're, they're people who are respectful and nice because they, they see me as a person. But sometimes we're in some parts of the country and like, you know, maybe we're walking to a bar or something and you know, you, you could feel a little, depending on where in the country you are, you know? Yeah. But I would say, as far as the industry is concerned, there are a lot of a lot of artists of color. So it's not strange to have black performers or Latino performers or whatever, because that has always been the case in our country. And so I have I've had primarily good experiences. Um, good. So metalist, yeah, it's kind of open minded. It's weird. It's like. I know I stand out in some weird ways because there's not many black dudes playing eight string guitars, but it's kind of like, it's not a, it hasn't been a racism thing as much as it's been a, um, a mild novelty sometimes. Mm -hmm. So maybe I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones, you know? Yep. No, you, I'm glad you're lucky. And oh, it's great. Uh, as other people have, have said, and he, he said, he wrote, thanks for not censoring his question. Yeah, no problem. Um, I don't see race. I only see Fender Gibson. <laughs> 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 That's funny. Yeah, I don't see race either. I only see people, as Roy Batty says. So I mean, every, uh, everyone's just a person. I, I don't care. I mean, the whole country was founded on immigrants. Please. I mean, so. stop. Yes. Please. I love that. <laughs> stop. stop. Please stop. Um, but yeah, thanks for your question and your super chat. We do appreciate it. Um, 
And this was the question from Unfucking Believable. How often does Tosin play an acoustic? Uh, not that often lately, but I do like to keep up my classical chops just because it translates into other stuff. Cool. Um, I think I've gone through all the questions, Dave, unless you saw any others that I missed. Well, then I see a song in the future between Tosin on classical with Steve Stevens on classical. <laughs> I'd love to see that. Yeah. I don't know. I'm dreaming. You know what? I, I think I've been inside too long. I'm dreaming up new music for people to get together and do stuff with. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you know, I feel I feel that everyone should be just collaborating. You know what? Get together, make some music. You know, just do something. Do something. It's been happening, you know? dude. Yo, you could pull like a, a Mike Marty and just be like the hub of all these guitar players. And like, yeah, I, well, it's just like you go make some music, you know, like get together with someone that you don't normally play with and 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 see what f comes out because that's how interesting things are born, you know, mm -hmm. and 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 especially with people with different styles and different things, they'll play off each other and they'll they'll come out with something really neat you know really interesting or different or something cool you know yeah man and actually i know fans of guitar really love to see like their favorite dudes work together it's yeah. it's always a good time so yeah, yeah I'm, I'm open to some collaborations that's cool yeah um, and, and and in and in this environment of releasing a single it really it's really simple to do, you know. It's like, hey, I did the song with so and so, and boom, there it is. You know, as long as you can work it out financially or whatever, if you make any money off of it. But chances are, you might not. <laughs> <laughs> you never know, man. People have been really generous during COVID. Like, I figured like amp sales and guitar sales and all this stuff would suffer, but like, yeah. oh no, not at all. Yeah, it's. it's Kind no. of counter, yeah, counterintuitive, right? You didn't. I yeah. never expected that. I thought it, a lot Everyone's of everyone's just sitting at home. Like, I yeah. don't want that guitar. I want that. <laughs> yeah, but didn't you fear that like if they're shutting down the economy, people can't work, and they're thinking, you know, they've got to conserve. But actually, people have just been. Just yeah, I don't know what it is. I, I think I think you know there there are a lot of people that. Uh, there are a lot of people that actually lost their income, but there are also a lot of people that didn't lose their income. But what they what they did get is they were spending less of their income because they're not going anywhere, they're not going on vacation, they're not spending it elsewhere. So now it's like, yeah, I'm going to buy that extra guitar because I, you know, I I really want that. <laughs> totally. You know, so yeah. which is good, and hopefully everyone's playing and having fun, you know, and having enjoying themselves with it. Mm -hmm. I hope so. Yeah. Uh, T Neville sent us a super chat. Thank you. How does Tosin remember all the awesome, awesome parts to his songs and keep everything so, so tight, live? Yeah. yeah. Uh, muscle memory. I don't know. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like um, it, it's essentially if you learn something the right way, like it's hard to forget. And muscle memory is a thing on guitar. I don't know if that's the correct term, but there's kind of like, kind of once you got you got it, you got it sort of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, there's no magic to it really. 
That's cool. Well, I want to thank you, Tosin, for coming on the show. It's been uh, so awesome to have you on. Pleasure to meet you and uh, learn more about you and your career and your brand. And uh, I wish you all the best of luck in the future. Appreciate that. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah. No problem, man. Thank you for for making it. You have to go save your girlfriend now? Apparently, yeah. (laughs) You're the savior. That's cool. Um, Well, thanks, everybody, for coming on. Our next show is uh, December 4th. I'm just making sure. December 4th with Lindy Fralin. So uh, from Lindy Fralin Pickups. Some good pickups. Yeah. Great pickups. Yeah. And um, everybody have a great weekend. Get some rest. I know I will. And we won't see you for Thanksgiving, so enjoy Thanksgiving as well. And uh, hang on, Tosin, while we hang up. Take care, everybody. Thanks. Thank you. Peace out, guys.